So we find ourselves this morning in the city of Miletus, as the Apostle Paul delivers, delivers a tearful farewell to a group of Ephesian elders. Uh, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word as we consider how our church might become a missional church. We are in Acts chapter 20. We'll begin at verse 17. We'll read through verse 34. This is God's word. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of, you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from amongst your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he'd said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord our God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the glories of your word, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
This week I read two interesting quotes about what it means to be a missional church. What it means to be a church that loves lost people. What it means to be a church that reaches unreached people. The first quote comes from Daryl Guter, who's a missiologist at Princeton Seminary. He asks, in North America, what might it mean for the church to be a city on a hill? To be salt, to be a light to the world. It means, first of all, that the inner communal life of the church matters for mission. Let me say that again. It means that the inner communal life of the church matters for mission. The second quote comes from Jonathan Lehman, who's an editor over at Nine Marks Journal. He writes, Conservative writers on missional churches tend to emphasize the mission of each individual member to share the gospel. That's excellent. But let's emphasize the importance of our corporate witness as well. Our churches should be attractive. They should be foretastes of Christ's consummated kingdom. How does that happen? How does our church become a city on a hill? How does our church become a light to the nations? How does our church become a light to our neighbors? If for some unforeseen reason, our church were to disappear tomorrow, simply cease to exist, what would our closest neighbors say? Would they say, thank goodness, I'm glad those people are finally gone? Or would they be grieved, saying, we don't believe what they believe, but they were a blessing to our community? They loved people. They helped people. They were a city of refuge for those who were struggling. Would they even notice at all? To answer some of these questions, we travel to the city of Miletus, where the Apostle Paul delivers a moving farewell address to a group of Ephesian elders, the leaders of the church of, El of Ephesus, men who he had personally discipled for more than three years. In this address, which is, interestingly enough, the only address in the book of Acts which is specifically addressed to a group of Christian people, we discover what it means for us to be a missional church. So if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to walk through the passage this morning and we're going to see nine marks of a missional church. These are nine things that all missional churches have in common. These are nine things that we need to be and believe and embrace if we want to reach our unreached neighbors. Now, I could go ahead and list them to you, but I think that that would kill the suspense. And I can see you sitting on the edges of your seat, waiting to know how you can be like the Ephesians. How you can be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, let's get started. Are you ready? Here are nine marks of a missional church. 
The first mark is transparency. Missional churches are transparent churches. Verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. In other words, Paul's life was an open book. He was open about his struggles. He was open about his doubts. He was open about his fears. He was open about his triumphs. He was open about his joys. He was real. He was present. He was available. He was accountable. He was authentic. Now, sadly, that's not always the way things are in Christian churches. I think sometimes we come to church on a Sunday morning and we feel pressure to be someone that we're not. You know, so we ask one another, how are you doing? And we all say, of course, what do we say? Fine, we're all fine. How was your week? It was fine. How are your kids? They're fine. How's work? It's good. No complaints. How is school? Couldn't be better. How's your prayer life? Are you reading the Bible? Oh, it's great, Pastor Joel. I read the Bible every single day. Like the hard parts, the Old Testament, not the easy parts of the New. Two, three times a day I read the Bible. I pray five, ten hours, I think, every day before work. Uh, you know how some people talk about their prayer closet? Mine's like the size of a condo. You know, I, I've got a mini fridge in there because I get hungry. There's snacks, right? And I'd look, oh, okay, well, maybe you should preach, you know? It seems like you're doing a lot better than me. Now, that's not to say that we have to share our deepest, darkest secrets with the first person uh, who asks us how we're doing at church. That might get a little bit awkward, you know? Context matters. But it is to say that we need to be transparent with each other. If you're struggling with addiction... If you're struggling because you're sick or you're stressed or you're worried or you're just having a hard time, it does you no good to hide that from other people. It does no good to hide it from yourself. That's called denial. And it certainly does no good for you to hide it from God. God knows your sins and your struggles. Now, conversely, if things are going great in your life, God is blessing you, you feel God's presence, you got some grandkids who are coming, you just got a raise, you just got an A- minus on your chemistry exam, and you're super happy about it. Share that. We rejoice with those who rejoice. The point is, whether you're having your best day ever or your worst day ever, God is calling us to be transparent. God is calling us to be real with one another. If we want to be a missional church, a church that reaches lost people, a church that helps hurting people, we celebrate Jesus and we celebrate transparency. No hiding, no faking. Be who you are in Christ. The second mark of a missional church is humility. Missional churches are humble. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility. 
Now, why is humility so important? Why do missional churches tend to be humble churches? I think it's because true humility, not false humility, not all shucks, Eddie Haskell humility, real humility, true humility comes from comparing who you are to who God is. Have you ever noticed in the Bible when anyone ever has a, a real encounter with God, what happens? They, they get very nervous. <laughs> they fall down. They say, woe is me. They say, uh, please, I- I'm going to die. I'm imperfect. I'm, in sin- I'm sinful. Why? Because God is infinitely great and we are finite. We are fallen. We are sinful. And so there appears to be an infinite chasm separating God, who is great and holy and good, and me, who is fallen and sinful and finite and unholy. But then you'll notice something interesting happens. After seeing the greatness of God, the very next thing that they do is say, How can I serve you? God, where is it that you want me to go? Nineveh, I'll go. Jerusalem, I'll go. Babylon, I'll go. Rome, anywhere. Japan, I'll go. I don't even speak Japanese. I'll learn. Wherever it is, Lord, I will go where you're calling me to go. See, humility gives you an open heart to receive God's grace. But more than that, it gives you open hands to grasp hold of God's plan for your life. When you're humble, you're no longer saying, I am great, serve me. That's arrogance. Humility, the kind of humility that made Jesus bend down and wash his disciples' feet. The kind of humility that brought Jesus from the throne room of God to a a stable in Bethlehem. And from that stable to a cross outside of the city of Jerusalem. That type of humility says, how can I serve you? Missional churches are humble churches. Missional churches have the heart of Jesus. The third mark is passion. Missional churches are passionate. I'm going to read three verses to you, see if you can pick up on a theme. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Verse 37, and there was much weeping on the part of all. Missional churches shed tears. Missional churches weep for lost people. As missional Christians, we weep for our lost world. We weep with joy when someone meets Jesus for the very first time. And we weep with sorrow When brothers and sisters in Christ are separated, not knowing when we're going to see each other again. Because we care. We care about lost people. We care about the lost world. We care about injustice. 
We care about God's glory. We care about the gospel. We care about our friends. Our Christian friends are not merely friends. Our Christian friends are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our fathers and mothers in the faith. And so when we depart from one another, our hearts break. Simply because we don't want our brothers and sisters to leave. We believe that God's grace has the power to change lives. We believe that God's grace has the power to change the world. We believe that Jesus is coming back someday to make all things new. And we weep because we desperately want the world to see the beauty that we see. We weep because we desperately want this world to be what it will be when Jesus comes again to make all things new. If you've been a Christian for a long time, it's easy to lose your passion. It's easy for those tears to dry up from your eyes we all have days where we feel like we're just going through the motions. We all have days where we, we just don't simply feel the love that we should feel for other people. And so my question is, to this text, to the Holy Spirit speaking in the Word, where is it that we find our passion again? Is this something that we sort of well up deep inside of ourselves? Where do we find our passion for lost people and a lost world my answer, the Scripture's answer, is that we find our passion at the foot of the cross. Do you know what the word passion means? The word passion comes from a Latin word which means to suffer. Sometimes theologians will refer to Jesus' death on the cross as his passion. You remember the film, The Passion of the Christ. We find our passion by remembering His passion. We shed our tears because Jesus shed His tears. We shed our tears because Jesus wept over the death of His friend, knowing that death was not part of the original creation, that it is an enemy which He and He alone can defeat and did defeat on the cross. We weep over the lost city of Jerusalem, even as we weep over our lost city. And the many, many people who have yet to see the face of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our hope. Missional churches are passionate because God is not a cold, analytical, dispassionate God. Jesus wept. And as his people, so should we. The fourth mark is courage. Missional churches are courageous. In verse 19, Paul says that he has served the Lord with trials. He has suffered for the sake of the gospel. He's about to go to Jerusalem. He knows that he will suffer at the hands of the Jewish people there. He probably has an inkling that he will be turned over to the Romans and that he will be executed by the Roman government. And yet he went. He was bold. 
He was courageous. He kept preaching. He kept teaching. He kept trying to reach lost people with the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners, the King of kings, the hope for all mankind. Like David facing down Goliath, our courage doesn't come from our size. Our courage doesn't come from our strength. Our courage doesn't come from our skill. Our courage comes from the Lord. If we are on God's side, if God is with us, we have nothing to fear. In Psalm 118, we read, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. You know, in times like this, in in cultural moments, like our cultural moment, it's very easy to be discouraged. It's very easy to look at the world and see all the problems in the world and just sort of develop a, a fortress mentality, to take a defensive posture to the world out there, to protect ourselves by building walls. Now, I will say there is some wisdom in that. Our next sermon series is literally about a guy who builds a wall, the book of Nehemiah. So sometimes building walls is appropriate. I have walls built to a certain extent around my family. There are certain influences that we try to keep out, certain forms of obscenity and foolishness and unbelief. That's our attempt. My point is not that there are no walls. It is that missional churches aren't afraid of what's on the other side of the wall. We are not intimidated by the enemies of Jesus Christ. In fact, we want to go out there so that we can convert the enemies of Jesus Christ. We want to go over the wall and around the wall and through the wall so that we can tell the people who are on the other side of the wall, we're not your enemies. We're your friends. We love you. God loves you. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, his only son, to die on the cross for everyone who believes. The promise of the gospel is for everyone who believes, including you. And if in the process of doing that, of going on the other side of the wall, we are arrested like Paul was arrested, so be it. We still have freedom in Christ. And if, like Paul, our lives are taken from us, so be it. We will live forever in heaven and on the new heavens and the new earth because of Jesus. And if we're mocked like Paul was mocked, so be it. Jesus knows our name. Jesus is not laughing at his people. He is rejoicing over us with singing. So don't be afraid. Missional churches are bold churches. Missional churches engage the world. Missional churches are courageous churches. Here's the fifth mark. Missional churches are biblical churches. Verse 20, Paul writes, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Verse 27, 
For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What did Paul declare? He declared God's word. What did Paul teach? He taught them the Bible. As a missional church, we preach and we teach the Bible. We do that in public worship services like this. We do that in school assemblies. We do that with the Rotary Club. A couple weeks ago, I got invited to pray at the, uh, the Council of County Commissioners. And I wasn't exactly preaching to them, but I was praying. It was pretty cool. And I wrote my prayer. It was essentially just one Bible verse after the next that I was praying for our county and for the commissioners who serve our county. It was great but we also preach and teach the Bible from house to house. We preach and teach the Bible in small group Bible studies, in men's groups, in women's groups, in life groups, hospital rooms, college dorm rooms, prison cells. You know, our brothers and sisters in Christ literally cannot come to us on a Sunday morning. And so it's our calling to bring the gospel to them, to take that message of God's freedom inside the prison walls that we might transform it from the inside out. I have found that missional churches, churches who reach unreached people, tend to focus on preaching and teaching the Bible. Churches that reach unreached people have biblical preaching and biblical discipleship. They pray biblical prayers and they sing biblical songs because it's not about me. It's about the Bible. The Bible is God's word. Now, we could probably get some curious people to come to a worship service on Sunday morning if we had Shamu in a tank in our parking lot, uh, or if while I was preaching, we had uh, two motorcycles jump over the top of me. That is a real thing. It's on YouTube. You can look it up later. Somebody did that. But it's not about the gimmicks. It's about the Bible. The Bible is God's Word, and God's Word makes all the difference. Why? Because the Bible is all about Jesus. That's where we're going next. Sixth mark. Missional churches are evangelical churches. Verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Later, Paul says, verse 32, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, the gospel, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. Now, when I use the term evangelical, I'm using it theologically and not sociologically sociologically, an evangelical is someone who likes Chick-fil-A sandwiches, uh, side hugs, lock-ins, sword dr drills, and the work of the great artist St. Thomas Kincaid. 
Theologically, evangelicals are people who preach the euangelion, which is Greek for gospel, which is good news. Specifically, the good news that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again from the dead, who ascended into heaven where he sits today at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, who is coming back one day to judge the living and the dead, to usher in all of his people into a glorious new world where there is no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death, where every day is the best day and every day is better than the day before. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one of my old pastors used to tell a story about Billy Graham. Billy Graham, I'm sure most of you know, is a world-famous evangelical preacher, an evangelist, one of the most famous evangelists in the world. He preached the gospel everywhere. He was in Dodger Stadium, he was in Yankee Stadium, Central Park, arenas, outdoors, every country in the world. Billy was there, he was preaching the gospel. Now, one day, he was invited to speak at Oxford University. Oxford University, as you know, is one of the most famous universities in the world. It remains so to this day. And so he went to Oxford, and for days, he went to the, to the chapel, and he spoke to the students, and he spoke to, about all the proofs of the existence of God. He talked about all the proofs for the authority of the Bible. He talked about Greek words and translation issues and logic and all of this, proofs for this and proofs for that. And he used every intellectual argument that he could muster in, in defense of the Christian faith in order to win over these very highly intellectual students and their professors. It was a disaster. It didn't work. Now, a lot of people came the opening day because they wanted to hear who's this, you know, hick preacher from North Carolina who's come to teach us about who God is. But after they heard his arguments about the existence of God and all these things, they, they left. No one got saved. No one got converted. Then, on the final night that Billy Graham was to speak, he put aside the words that he had planned to say, and he started to talk to the students who had gathered there, about the blood. He talked about the blood of Jesus. He talked about heaven and hell. He talked about sin and grace. He talked about redemption. He talked about the glory of God. And instead of all the proofs and all the arguments, which had no impact at all, many students were saved. In fact, many professors were saved. Why? Not because of the arguments, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Do you believe that? I do. And because I believe that, I preach the gospel knowing that no one is too lost. No one is too sinful. No one, not even if you're a student at Oxford University, is too smart for the blood of Jesus. And no one, even if you're a fifth grade dropout, is too dumb for the blood of Jesus. And no one is too rich for the, the blood of Jesus, and no one's too poor for the blood of Jesus. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Missional churches are evangelical churches. Missional churches 
are committed to preaching and teaching and breathing in and exhaling out the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Seventh mark, missional churches are inclusive churches. Verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward faith and repent toward repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul preached the gospel to Jews and many Jewish people were saved, they became Christians. He preached the gospel to Gentile people, many of those Gentile people were saved, they became Christians. If you read the whole book of Acts, you'll see that all of the early churches were missional churches. And all of those missional churches were reaching a diverse group of people, men and women, young and old, Jews and Gentiles. They were very, very diverse. Missional churches are diverse because the gospel says loudly and clearly, there is one Lord, there is one Savior, there is one King, and His name is Jesus. And if you believe in him, you are all, and we are all, one in Christ Jesus. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. He writes, For Jesus is our peace, who has made us one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. My prayer is that God will continue to make us, week by week, a more diverse church, racially and economically, and in all ways, may we reflect the beauty, that great, beautiful mosaic that is the kingdom of God. My prayer is that we would do this so that our city, our community, would see the glory of Jesus and the power of the gospel to bring people together. Eighth mark. Missional churches are generous churches. Verse 33, Paul writes, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands, my own hands, he's saying, ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. To be a missional church, we need to be a generous church. Generous with our time, generous with our money, Generous with our compliments, generous with our encouragement, generous with our love. Paul helped hurting people, and he did it because so that people could see the heart of Jesus, who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. As Christians, we have received so much Everything that we have is a gift from God. Literally, everything we have is a gift from God. All of our material possessions, all of our talents, all of our abilities. And the greatest gift we have in Christ is the gift, the free gift of everlasting life. Freely we have received, and so God says, freely give. Freely give. 
go to Louisiana and help the people there who've been devastated by the hurricane. Go down to Waterfront Rescue Mission and serve a meal to those men who are battling the, the str- and struggling against the chains of, of addiction and spiritual darkness. Go to them, serve them, love them, learn their name, look them in the eye, and give them the dignity they deserve as image bearers of the Almighty God. Go and mentor young women and young men, young moms and young dads down at Safe Harbor, young moms and dads who are experiencing an unplanned pregnancy, who are scared, who are afraid, who don't know what to do. They need us. Mentor young people here in this church. Our young people here in this church need your wisdom. They need to hear the voice of God speaking through you into their lives. Kate mentioned already that we're going down on Saturday to distribute 30,000 pounds of food. What a privilege it is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Come help. And if you can't come, if you can't go, I encourage you to give by financially supporting this church, which supports all the ministries that happen here, not for our glory, but for the glory of God, so that people might see the face of Jesus. The more generous we are, the more we look like Him. A missional church is a generous church. Ninth mark, last mark, missional churches are loving churches. This scene ends, it's so beautiful, with Paul and these Ephesian elders down on the beach, they're kneeling down, they're praying, their eyes are filled with tears, they're weeping because they know they're never going to see each other again. Paul knows that going to Jerusalem is going to be the first domino that begins the sequence which will end in his death. And so they weep over their friendship. These men loved one another. They loved Jesus, and they loved each other. Those happen to be the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But they're more than commandments. They're also the two greatest blessings of life in the church. As Christians, we are rooted and grounded in love, God's love for us, which then overflows into the lives of the people around us so they all may know the love of Jesus, so that everyone in our community is touched by his love. Transparency matters. So does humility, so does passion and courage. The Bible matters. The gospel matters. Inclusion matters. So does generosity. But the greatest of these is love. We love Jesus because he first loved us. We live because he lived. A missional church is a loved church. A missional church is a loving church. 
Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your manifold wisdom, the many facets of your glory. I pray, Lord God, that we would become more and more a missional church, a church that has a heart, a burden for lost people. I pray, Lord God, that you would be already doing work in the lives of our friends and family members. Lord, as we pause a moment to consider their names, we pray that your spirit would be at work in them right now at this moment. Hear our prayer, Lord God. Bring these, our friends, to faith and use us as we make your gospel known. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.